This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? Doing great, Ed. How are you? I'm doing good as well. So we opened the show uh, as the official Telerik podcast, and I think we're going to continue on that path, but there's some things that we need to clear up first. So this last week, um, Telerik has gone through a rebranding, right? Mm-hmm. So we are officially progress, and with that, uh, Telerik will stay around. Uh, Telerik is going to be... Uh, known as Telerik by Progress, so it's more of a product brand than a company brand anymore. That's right, yeah. Yes. Uh, so no more in the logo, you know, the old Telerik logo is gone, but the Telerik name stays. Yeah, and we got acquired when? This was December, um, not this past December, a year prior, so like a year and a half now. So it's yeah. been a while. I think um, I think Telerik got acquired right before I joined a year ago. So that's right. Yeah, you. Yeah. I think you were the first person on our team who was hired as a Progress employee. Yep. And now we are all Progress employees, and we all yes. specialize in the brand of Telerik products. Right. Yeah. So Telerik by uh, Progress products. Nothing should change with the show, uh, but. We just need to make sure everybody's aware. If you see progress out there or progress software corporation, that's us. So this week we had some really great um, articles with uh, the Teller Developer Digest. And um, we'll, we'll kick things off with a little uh, article from uh, one of our teammates, Todd Motto. And uh, he wrote a great piece on the performance of the new Kendo UI spreadsheet control versus uh, online uh, Office 365 Excel. Yeah, this is a, you know, I, I love this one, and not because I personally am all that interested in the spreadsheet component, right? Um, it's not something I use that often, but what I loved about this article was the way he gets into how he profiled it and how he digged into the performance. And to me, that was the lesson was not, it's just not an article I necessarily, you know, you could, you could read this and not care at all about the spreadsheet. Um, but you would learn a lot about how to dig into the performance of components and of web apps. Yeah. He does some really interesting stuff with the uh, Chrome dev tools and looks at timelines and what kind of requests are being made and stuff like that. And it's really interesting the way he dug in. I think you're right. That's one of the highlights of the article. It's just the w the way he attacked the problem because because he didn't have yeah. access to like what's going on behind the scenes of Office 365, so he couldn't really go into the to the source code or something and and set up you know some kind of profiling on the back end. So he had to do it from the the user side of things. Exactly. So you know I think. Um... I'm hoping that some people who may have seen the title and thought, eh, you know, will come and give it a give it a look because I think there's a lot you can get out of it. Yeah, like I I feel like I'm getting something from you, like spreadsheets aren't exciting or something. 
<laughs> you know, it's one of those, it's, it's a necessary tool. I don't think anybody loves using them. Uh, I think people that are, you know, accountants and finance folks love those things. Yeah, my dad is, my dad will put anything, there's nothing in the world that he cannot turn into a spreadsheet. Uh, you know, even now that he's retired, it's like everything, he's like, well, I made a spreadsheet of that, and I'm going to share it with you, and I'm like, it's just, you know, it's just some personal thing, but we have spreadsheets of those things. I've seen people do some really bizarre stuff in there. There used to be, like, I don't know if it's a website or what it was, but you could download, like, these odd things that would run in Excel, and somebody actually recreated Pac-Man in Excel. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right, so not to get too far off track, <laughs> uh, we got um, a great article anyway from Todd, and um, there's some really cool stuff in there, and it's not just one of those things. It's like, oh, look, our tool's faster than somebody else's tool. Uh, there's some there's some interesting things in there where uh, the Kendo spreadsheet's actually slower, but it's for good reason, and uh, one of those things is... Um, is the copy and pasting of formatted data. And if you want to see what I'm talking about, you should go check out the article and read more about it. Yep. So up next, we have um, another good one. Staying um, on the performance topic. Yeah. Yeah, another good performance article. Uh, and this is Easier Web Application Debugging with Command Line API. Uh, and this is talking about the 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 command line in Chrome Developer Tools, right? And it's not just Chrome Developer Tools, by the way. This is just this is actually a web API that's supported across um, developer tools, like multiple developer tools on different browsers. And and who who wrote this one? Set? How do you this pronounce it? Aurelio De Rosa. Yes, he's, I'm he's contributed. Dude. He's he's not. Um, he doesn't work for Telerik. He's just kind of an we have some external contributors sometimes write, and he's been fairly regular contributor. He writes for a lot of places. He's, I mean, he's he's a really good writer, uh, and very prolific as well. So, and this this one's really good because, like I said, it's this is any any of these console tools. You can actually dig into DOM elements and and things straight from the console. So, like rather than having to do lots of console logs to find out the values of things and whatever. You can you can dig into it in the console, save you a lot of time. Um, so he goes into all of the aspects of this particular API and how you select things and how you inspect them and so on. Yeah, one of the cool things I, I actually didn't know about was um, all of these dollar sign uh, commands that you can use in Chrome. Yeah. And, um, so so much like jQuery, uh, there's this dollar sign operator that gives you um, what's being selected in in the DOM. So when you're using your your inspection tool, uh, you can actually shortcut uh, get what it's highlighting uh, with these various selectors. Yeah, um, so yeah. He's, he's outlined those really well. He shows that. I mean, obviously, in this case, the dollar sign. There, there was some debate about the choice of using the dollar sign because people think dollar sign, they think jQuery, and this is actually using the underlying like, um, you know, query selector 
uh, underneath the dollar sign as opposed to using jQuery. And if you have jQuery running on a page, then it you know there's issues of of over overlapping dollar signs, um, which he he talks about how you know how that all works. Um, but in another one of the things that he gets into, which I think is also important, um, because it's something that is not as easy to do necessarily on your own, uh, is basically being able to see what events are on a particular object in the DOM. Uh, so, so if you want to see like what event handlers were attached to a particular DOM element, you can actually do that within from within the console. Yeah, you can even break in. Uh stop yeah. you know the code from running when certain dom elements have a change event and stuff without yep. without you know writing lines of code or anything to do that yeah uh, so it's really there's really some handy stuff in there that i mean you could probably create a whole day's workshop <laughs> about chrome developer tools and how to use all the little various bits and pieces of it oh yeah and more so, than a day yeah easily so he's got a good uh introduction on you know how to do some fancy stuff in there and uh, you should go check it out some some really handy handy tools that you'll find yourself using definitely you want to take the the next one here Brian sure the next one is also by like uh, by another person who an external contributor to the site um, and this one is a little bit different because I don't think we've ever had anything on this particular topic um, it's called A Guide to a Secure Life Online, and it's by Jason Thomas. Um, and so it's it's not just about, this is not specifically focused on development, because it, it talks about using secure browser, about encrypting your email, um, using an email alias um, service and things like that. It also gets into more developer things like how to encrypt your, you know, sign and, and encrypt uh, your Git repositories and sign your commits and, and so on. Um, so there are some developer aspects to it, but it's all about just kind of protecting your privacy and protecting your information online, whether it's through your communications or via your, you know, your work, your development work. Yeah, one of the things he, he touches in the article is um, how to use HTTPS for free. And uh, mm -hmm. that's something I, I was always pushing uh, when I was doing web development professionally, is uh, to get all of our websites HTTPS. Um, it, any if they have any kind of form on them, or just if it's a big, you know, uh, outward-facing customer, you know, portal type of a website, uh, you should have HTTPS. It's it's not uh, if you're working for a big company, it's not expensive. And uh, if it's a personal thing, um, he highlights how to get some uh, free certificates and uh, yep. make your site HTTPS. And, and this is really helpful stuff. Um, we, we actually had an incident where a, um, I want to say a script, but it was it was more like a virus got on our server and it dropped uh, a JavaScript into an HTML page. Yep. And it was actually throwing a form up on the site that we had no clue was there. Uh, but thankfully, we had HTTPS enabled, and we had a certificate on the site. So it immediately was like a red flag that something was not going right, because you'd, um, you'd get that error in the browser that something was like, something yep. wasn't secure on the page, but it was coming over HTTPS. So 
we we got a ping from a customer right away that said, hey, something's not right. I'm getting this weird uh, yellow like lock symbol, and we we checked it out, and there was actually something bad going on. Uh, yeah, I've had similar types of things happen where um, you know uh, somebody had injected some JavaScript into the site somehow, and you know caused weird bizarre things to happen they were they were I don't, I don't even recall what they were injecting some kind of ad or something like that but anyway yeah ours was uh injecting a, a pop-up that wanted you to download a virus <laughs> so it was really bad yeah but that's we, not good we caught it right away and uh after we found out you know how it was caught and stuff we deployed certificates on everything and it was like maybe a hundred dollars a site for the year I was yeah. like, if this protects our users, <laughs> then uh, it's worth the hundred bucks. I mean, really. Yep. So, but you know, even beyond that, he's got it's a, it's a great like overall, you know, and he gives you all the services. <clears throat> yeah, so it's I, great overall like everything related to say your work. You can you know you can uh, use all these services and basically have you know be secure across the board at least as much as possible right yeah and i like what you said about it being developer kind of focused where where you see a lot of these articles and they're good articles i'm not knocking them they need to be out there and popular and we need to yeah. have as many as we can but usually they're like how to make sure your facebook stays safe <laughs> and it's yeah. like we need we need one for developers how do you keep your git safe and how do you you know use https for free and and he's yep. done a good job of that. Definitely. Uh, and we just released a brand new version of our Kendo UI. So uh, release two is out. That's our next uh, big article that was on the developer digest. On, yeah, yeah, that one was from uh, the blogs actually. Yeah, this one's from Telerik.com/blogs or blogs.telerik.com, and. Um, to save everybody the usual, um, you know, change log, I'm not going to sit and read a change log. There's some much bigger, better things in here, and that's why I wanted to cover it. Um, and that is we have React uh, components for Kendo UI. Uh, and we're also working on Angular components for Kendo UI. So I wanted to touch on this because it's like this release was the beginning of the future of Kendo UI. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, what's this React thing? I, I think I've heard of it. <laughs> uh, I think it's some um, uh, VB script thing, right? Yeah, maybe. No. <laughs> it must be v VB script, yes, definitely. So big, the biggest, or not biggest, but uh, one of the two or, two or three biggest JavaScript front-end development frameworks that's in this new competitive space uh, that being React and Angular 2, and there, there's some other uh, runners-up that are pretty close to uh, popularity of these guys. Um, so we're we're supporting uh, React and Angular 2 out of the gate, and uh, we actually released a couple components for React uh, just recently, and you can install those um, on NPM and, and check those out. And then shortly after uh, this release, we're going to start rolling out some Angular 2 components. Right. And um, I talked to the engineering team, I think it was at Microsoft Build, 
and um, they were talking about how similarly the component system is in oh, really? uh, Angular and Kendo, or sorry, Angular and React, uh, to where they're they're actually able to do some sim- simultaneous development with these things, uh, and you know, kind of cut down some of their their coding they're going to have to do for this. So it'll be interesting to see how this moves forward, and uh, we'd love to hear feedback from people on how they like the new components in uh, Angular and React for Kendo UI. And let us know what you guys think. Uh, you can get in touch with us at developer.telerik.com or message any of us on Twitter and uh, let us know. Yep, and I think the you know it's important to point out one of the things that brought me to Telerik, honestly, early on, was was that we tend to do things um, and not be prescriptive about how you have to do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I love the fact that something like Kendo, um, or even NativeScript, right? Like, NativeScript supports Angular, um, but it doesn't require that you use Angular. And Kendo is going to be, like, basically, okay, you want to use Angular, you can use Angular, you want to use... Um, you know, you want to use React, you can use React. You don't want to use either, you, you want to use something else, you can do that too. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, when I, I came, you know, before and I was a developer for so many years, so many of these things were like, well, if you want to use X, you have to do it, this partic- use this framework, and you have to do things this particular way. Um, and I've had a lot of experiences where that has caused me pain in my past, you know, where where you buy into a, basically a whole stack from top to bottom, and one little piece of that stack falls off, and you're you're stuck in a bad spot. So I love the fact that we we have products like this that that don't necessarily prescribe to you how you have to do it, and we give you options. Yeah, and that's an excellent segue into the next part of this same uh, release here. Uh, another thing we, we released is a preview of the Bootstrap 4 um, uh, theming for Kendo UI. And that's another thing, you know, we, we leave it open-ended for you to decide, you know, do you want to use Foundation, Bootstrap, roll your own CSS framework. But we're going to give you, you know, Bootstrap 4 theming, and um, if you want to use that, you can. And what's really cool about this release of uh, the Bootstrap theme is... It, we're, we're piggybacking on top of the SAS variables that Bootstrap 4 is going to use. So if you haven't heard yet, Bootstrap is moving from less to SAS. Uh, right. So there's a little bit of a story there. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. And um, with that, uh, we've taken those SAS variables. So you could you could set up your whole application and then go into the SAS settings and say, all right, our company colors, you know, maybe your company rebranded, wink, wink, <laughs> and uh, some colors have changed. You could go in and just change one variable in the source code, and all of the colors on all of the widgets on the web application would change to those colors. So that's cool. some really handy stuff. Um, so we we have another really good article, and it's one of those where even if you're not a consumer of said product, the the article is just one of those you know geeky computer programming 
you should just read it for the sake of yeah. understanding how this stuff works because it's really cool. It's like getting into the guts of native scripts. And this yeah. one is the benefits of single threading, uh, the single threading model of native script. Right. And this is uh, by Georgie Atenesov. I don't know, or Atenesov. I don't know how to pronounce that all that well. Um, sorry, Georgie, if I messed <laughs> up your name. So uh, basically, he's on the he's on the native script team, and the, the thing behind this article was that we get this question all the time, right? Like, why um, does native script not support multi-threading? And the, the the first part of that is, you know, actually yet it does not yet support it. Um, he does get into that at the end of the article about why about what's coming in terms of multi-threading support, but the more the more interesting part of the article, I think, for the general audience, even if you don't use NativeScript, is why they chose to do things the way they did. Um, it has a lot to do with NativeScript's, um, basically, NativeScript's idea that you can directly call to native any native API, right? That on either iOS or Android, right? You can call that at any point from JavaScript. Um, and that the cost of trying to do that in a multi-threaded um, scenario would have been more than, you know, than it, it would have hurt the performance of the application. And he also digs into, like, how a lot of people worry that multi-threading causes serious performance issue. You know, the lack of multi-threading would cause serious performance issues, but it, in fact, in the majority of cases, you're going to be fine with this single threading, but there are cases where multi-threading might be needed. Um, he digs into a little bit about how you can do that right now um, using plugins, but then, you know, then how we're going to be able to enable that in the future for those handful of scenarios where they it would become an issue. Yeah, and I'm personally not a native script user per se i mean the obviously telerik makes native script and our progress makes native script and yeah uh, get it right man yeah <laughs> and uh um i i learn as much as i can about it because i you know as part of this job i need to be able to talk about it uh but my main focus is web development so you know i i know about native script i don't use it on a daily basis but i found this article terribly interesting like I couldn't stop reading it. I was like, oh, this is like why they solve this problem, how they solve this problem, and what the benefits of it are, and what the yep. trade-offs were. And I was just like, this is a great, you know, um, case study type of a thing. And it's, you know, it's all about problem solving, which is any developer's real main job is solving problems, right? So I got a lot out of reading this, and I thought it was really cool. So... Uh, was yeah. This one was this on developer.teleric.com or was this on? This was. Blogs? This was. Okay. And and you know I think he, I think you you make a good point. The the interesting thing about this is is that um, it's not that they haven't gotten to it yet kind of thing. That this was he gets into this was a an architectural decision that was made for a reason, not just kind of like okay. You know, uh, we just started coding and then realized, well, hey, we don't have threads. You know, <laughs> oops. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was there was a lot of thought put into choosing this as opposed to choosing a different way. Right? 
Yeah, it's some really good stuff. Uh, so stop by developer.telerk.com and read it or sign up for the Telerk Developer Digest newsletter. And uh, it won't be in the next one you get, but you can go back and look at the previous month and it will be in there. Uh, it's a good read. Uh, next, uh, if we have an article from a good friend of mine. Uh, this is uh, from kind of from around the web type of stuff that we, we put in our newsletter. Uh, this one's by Chris Michelle. He works at Treehouse, and he's a, a lead design manager there. Um, and he's been working on the SAS and CSS code for the Treehouse application. So Treehouse is like a training website. And if you go on there and you're, you're going through their training materials, um, you're, you're using an application, basically. Their, their yeah. app is the training site. Um, so when he joined, he, he started looking at the CSS code, and he's, he's wrote an article about how uh, he's pretty much chronicled the last couple of years of what he's been working on there. And he, he's, um, he's talking about you know, the past, present, and future of uh, their CSS code. And it gives you a, a cool uh, look behind the scenes of you know how they structure uh, some of their their code and what tools they're using. And I, I like articles like that where you know bigger companies kind of open the doors a little bit and say, you yeah. know, here's what we're using. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, this what's one. The, yeah. What's that phrase? The that they always used to use at Adobe. Open the kimono. <laughs> 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 Which is, I thought, was such a horrible phrase, but anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. effectively that's what they, you know, it's just kind of giving you a peek <laughs> inside the inner workings here. Yeah, and uh, I thought this was really cool because he he talks about how their, you know, their CSS was kind of a mess, and they adopted SAS, and uh, SAS helped clean things up, but you know they were learning this new preprocessing tool, so things weren't you know as great as they thought it would be, and they they kept working on it as they learned mm. uh, more about SAS, they got better at it, and then, you know, presently they're in this uh, mode of refactoring things even further and adopting new naming conventions and stuff. Uh, and then he talks about looking ahead and uh, what's coming up next. You know, they're they're looking into uh, linting tools to, to make sure that, you know, their naming conventions are uh, being um, adopted across different developers and make sure everybody's on the same page. And I just thought it was a really, really cool look at things. And it's it's pretty interesting um, because I, I know the person that wrote this article, and he's he comes from a design um, background, uh, but he's you know he's gotten a little more code savvy as he goes along, and it's you know interesting read from that perspective. Mm-hmm. To see somebody, you know, with that type of mindset, uh, with a design mindset, looking at code and uh, coming at it from a design point of view, and they're they're really coming along with this stuff and uh, coming up with a system of, you know, making sure the the code follows these conventions and um, there there's some some things to be said about uh, having a design perspective on code like. Um, you know, you're designing APIs basically. Uh, yep. You know, the the UX or the developer experience uh, of other people on your team matters. You know, uh, as it kind of comes through in in the way this reads, it's really cool. Yep, I agree. 
Um, the the next article is from uh, it's from around the web, but it is a Telerik developer expert that wrote it. Right. So Matt Milliken uh, wrote um, how to build a Slack bot using Node.js. Yeah, and I mean, I think probably a lot of us. I know we all use Slack, and probably a lot of our listeners already use Slack. It seems like everybody's already using Slack. So, um, and when you know, as if you're on Slack, you know that it supports bots, and every uh, you know, most of us are already aware of the Slack bot as kind of the default one. But you can create your own bots uh, that do all kinds of things, and that's what he walks through setting up using a tool called Botkit. Um, and using Node.js. So it, it's it's an interesting thing. I think there's a lot of innovation going on around bots right now. It seems to be everybody's really um, believes there's that it's, there's a big future in this in this way of interacting uh, with applications via these bots, uh, whether it's on Slack or other tools similarly. Um, yeah. Yeah. He covers some uh, some interesting stuff like uh, how to handle incoming webhooks, slash commands, outgoing webhooks, and stuff like that. And uh, he goes over what dependencies are involved in how to interact with the APIs. Yep. And um, he, he does a pretty good detailed explanation of all these things. And uh, he makes it look surprisingly easy. So I hope it's as easy yeah. as he makes it look. Look, because uh, like you said, a lot of people use Slack, and uh, yeah, you can you can make some pretty useful bots, and you can also make some pretty entertaining bots. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think this is a topic we'll we'll see more of. In fact, I know Jen already has an article that should be coming very soon um, on this similar topic of creating bots and and a Slack bot, but using a different way of doing it. Um, I have one that's similar. Uh, that about creating uh, Alexa, the Amazon's Alexa, can you can create custom skills they call them, which are effectively like, it's like it's the same, effectively the same as a bot, except instead of writing, you are speaking, right? Um, and it speaks back, uh, so it adds interesting elements to like, well, how do I handle voice inputs and different, you know, different things that people might say, and how do I turn data into something that's spoken instead of um, written or sh shown via UI of any sort. So there's all kinds of, this This whole thing is kind of, I think the fun thing for me as a developer is all the different challenges that you face in in dealing with different types of interactions with users where it's not the typical UI that you're used to displaying to them. In fact, there may be no UI. Yeah, I think 2017 is going to be the year of the bot. Yep. I'll go ahead and make predictions now. It's it's only halfway through the year, but <laughs> it seems like every big tech company is like bots, bots, bots uh, yep. at the beginning of the year. So by How next funny. year... That, that's the name of Jen's article, by the way. Bots, oh. bots, bots. <laughs> <laughs> it is, literally. <laughs> wow. So, um, anyway. Yeah, there's, there's some cool stuff. And um, I said, jokingly, on another podcast we were recording... Uh, when Microsoft introduced theirs, I'm like I'm waiting for like the Yeoman bot, like where you pull up your, you know, your development environment, and instead of command, you know, in your console like bashing it out, you just say, "Yo, give me a template for a web application," <laughs> and it knows, 
you know, by by the context that you gave it, what type of getting started template to throw together. Like, give me a, you know, whatever the bot's name is, give me a Angular 2 web application. And then it bootstraps you a web application for Angular 2. That's cool. I need to write that. Hmm. <laughs> yes, All right. do it. Get on it. I know, I know. You know, when I'm not busy with a hundred other things, uh, if I could sell it, I'd do it. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Um, another uh, good native script application, and uh, another another article from Nick Raboy. Yeah, and, and he's, he's also a TDE, by the way. He's yeah, a developer expert. He's a TDE, and he works for uh, Couchbase. Yes. And um, he's written some really great stuff that we've put in our newsletter over the past couple months. And uh, we're going to have him on the show eventually. I've been talking with him uh, to get him on. And we'll do an interview with him. Um, He's really a great author. And he comes up with some really detailed tutorial type articles. Uh, And this one is how to build a uh, a native script application with Angular 2 step by step. Yep. So it's a great tutorial if you want to get to learning um, Angular 2 and NativeScript, um, whether you have no Angular 2 or Angular experience or not. Uh, you know, it just walks you through the step-by-step for building a mobile app. Um, he also has, a, an, interestingly, t- just today on TDN, uh, he published an article that walks you through the, the difference between creating a NativeScript app in um, plain old JavaScript and building it in Angular 2. So if you even want to get a little bit, take this another step and see if you if you want to see what the difference would be um, between not using Angular 2 or using it yeah, to build a native script app. That so would be, good stuff. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, and, you know, these step-by-step tutorial type articles um, are actually really difficult to write. Yeah. So props to Nick on uh, his attention to detail on these things. So make sure you stop by uh, the website and check those out. Yep. And then finally, uh, last article is actually by this Brian Rinaldi guy. Yes, and I know. Do you know him? him? Yeah. He's <laughs> I'll let, kind you, of... let you take this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this is a part of a series that I did. Actually, the fourth part, which is the final part, came out um, today, this morning. And it's, I wrote it for IBM runs a site called Mobile Business Insights. And basically, it's just all four parts go over from like uh, mobile web all across the spectrum to native development and everything in between, including hybrid, something called hybrid native, um, which you, you'll understand if you read the article, JavaScript native, which includes things like NativeScript and uh, React, uh, React native, and then... Uh, cross-compiled, which you know includes things like, uh, um, well, most notably uh, Xamarin. So, and then finally, I kind of this the part that came out today is like, okay, which, how do you choose which which method you want to develop your app in? Um, and the the reason I started this was just because it seemed like everywhere it went there was new options, and they got they were kind of sitting somewhere across this spectrum of like more focused on on uh, purely web solution versus more combo native, obviously all the way to straight native. 
you know, try, trying to just kind of make sense of that from um, a kind of a 10,000 foot view, right? So you understand your options. Yeah, so if you were going to start a new project of some sort, uh, an article like this is great because uh, there's literally so many solutions out there to develop a mobile or web application that if you tried all of those solutions, your project would be a year behind <laughs> before you you found the the solution that you actually wanted to go with. Um, and there there's all sorts of ways to get an application developed these days, whether it's native or uh, hybrid or just uh, web. Uh, you know, responsive yep. web application, and then there's probably a dozen frameworks on each one of those decisions. And, yep. um, you know, it, it usually comes down to what are your skills, what are your team's skills, and then reading an article like this to find which of those solutions falls into those skill sets. Yeah, and, and to, to be honest, I think you hit on it exactly, which is that we all like to think that we choose the best tool for the problem, right? Except that, um, you know, like if I'm trying to fix something in my home, I and I'll go find the best tool that I own, right? I'm not usually going to go out shopping for a new tool, right? Um, so it's really about the skill set that you have in house, because most companies are not like, okay, we need to build this, and we have all these developers. And we're gonna, you know, and then let's evaluate it, and then maybe decide. Oh well, we don't need these developers. We need different developers, and bring in a whole new team. It's just not that. That's not a viable solution. So it's usually finding a good match between what fit works for your goals, but what works for the team that you have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so many choices these days. But yep. with that, you can also say there's a lot of work for developers out there. There's no shortage of jobs yep. to do. So that's a good problem to have. And no shortage of new things to learn. Yep. Yeah, with that said, uh, I think we'll we'll wrap this up. Brian, yep. you have uh, any closing words? Uh, should I? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, uh, this was great. We had a Make lot of sure. good stuff. I know we ran a little longer than normal, but I think you know it's just too much good things to talk about. Yeah, we had some great reads this week. I, I actually really enjoyed going through the newsletter and checking everything out so we could do the show on this. Um, speaking of the show, make sure you go to iTunes and uh, or SoundCloud and give us a like if you enjoyed the show. Leave us feedback. Uh, you can leave us feedback on SoundCloud or developer.telerik.com. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions. Brian, thanks for uh, helping me with the show this week. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, Ed. This is great. As All right, always. everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.